The message you're about to listen to is a recording from God's favorite house. It is our prayer that you listen, your life will be transformed, and you will be taken to greater heights in your walk with Jesus. Amen. God bless you as you listen to this message. At the door. So Father, we honor you today. We ask that you breathe upon us, Lord. Change our lives. Take us higher in you and let your name be glorified. Honor and glory be given to you. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Good morning again, everybody. So today we are um, starting a new series as we are aware. Um, you might have known, uh, titled, Secure a Limitless Future. Secure a Limitless Future. And that is uh, part one. Today we are in part one and we are laying a foundation and we begin to, to you know, get into um, the groove of things um, and today and we will um, continue from there next week. You know, when we think about our destinies, when you think about the word destiny, many times we are thinking of a destination. We are thinking of a destination and we are so fixated on, on the destination that we, we, we miss many things along the way. For instance, if, if you are going to um, Ekpe, for instance, you um, I just focused on getting there on time or getting to where you are going. And every other thing on the road appears to be um, a nuisance, appears, appears to be a, um, an, an hindrance or a distraction. You know, the traffic appeared to be um, just a nuisance. We just want to get rid of the traffic, you know. And um, the Okada riders, you know, are, are there, you know, almost scratching your car, you know, and sometimes getting away with a scratch here and there. And we have the bus drivers, you know, in our faces. And, you know, we just want to get to our destination. And many times, we treat life like that. We have the destiny we want to achieve. And every other thing we conclude is a nuisance or a distraction. Whereas with God, the journey is as important as the destination. With God, every pothole you meet on the road is significant. With God, every speed bump is significant. With God, the traffic lights are significant. With God, the traffic itself, the go slow, as we call it, is significant. <laughs> With God, the Okada rider that's like a pest is significant. The journey is significant. And many times we, we disdain our journey. Praying, fasting, hoping for the destination. And, and God is saying to you, 
The journey is part of your story. The journey will make the destination what it is when you eventually get there. And when we envision a future for ourselves, the different components of our lives are usually at odds. They are usually in competition. So for every future, F, there are at least six other Fs at play. For every future F, there is the family, faith, fitness, friends, finance, farm. For every future. For your future to be limitless, your family has to be limitless. Your faith has to be limitless. Your fitness, limitless. Your finance, limitless. Your friendships, limited, limitless. Your farm, limitless. And this aspect of life should work together. They should be integrated and not be at loggerhead. So many times we people have to or think they have to sacrifice family for finance, for instance. People think, oh, and when we have this, we have to lose there. We play a zero-sum game, as it were. But for your future to be limitless, your family, faith, friends, finance, fitness, farm must be in harmony. Must be in harmony. So instead of having to trade off your friends because of your faith, or trade your family for your friends. You don't spend time with your family because you have to hang out with your friends. What about having everything work together? What about having everything being in sync? And that is what God wants for us. Where your family is in harmony with your finance, is in harmony with your friendships, is in harmony with your fitness, is in harmony... I mean, some people will add other Fs, but we stay with, 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 the, with the six. It's in, it's in harmony with your farm. It's in harmony with your faith. Then, your future can actually become limitless. There's a passage of scripture I mean, I've been wrestling with since last year, you know, um, I think we used it towards the end of last year from November. We've been sharing from this passage of scripture. We used it at the crossover service. We used it at the first Sunday of the year. Uh, we used it with the governors of wealth, you know, uh, meeting. You know, I was at uh, a church at Ibejuleki on Thursday during the week. 
that was the passage we shared from, you know, and from different angles every time. God's word is just amazing. And we are going to look at, that will be the foundation of this series on securing a limitless future. Second Kings chapter 4. Second Kings chapter 4 from verse 1. The word of God says, One day, the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead. And you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help you? Elisha asked. Tell me, what do you have in the house? Nothing at all except a flask of oil. She replied. And Elisha said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour the oil from your flask into the jar, setting each one aside when it is filled. So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her and she filled one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her. And then the oil stopped flowing. Then she came and told the man of God and he said, go and sell the oil. Pay the debt, pay thy debt, and leave thou and thy children on the rest. So, in this passage of scripture, we see these six components at play. We see family at play. The woman had a husband, had two sons, family at play. Everything around the family. We see faith at play. The woman, when she was in trouble, she had a relationship with God, if you will, because Elisha was like God's representative, and she ran to God. We see friends at play. Because God said to her, go to your friends and borrow vessels, your friends and neighbors and borrow vessels. We need friends and neighbors. The question would ask at this point is, if God said to you, go to your friends and borrow vessels, would you have any friend to borrow your vessels? We see <laughs> finance at play here because that was what triggered the whole drama. Debt needed to be paid. We see fitness at play. 
How? Because they needed to carry vessels upon vessels and set them there, pour the oil, when it is full, carry the jar filled with oil, set it aside. That required a level of fitness. You know, there are a lot of us, there are levels that God wants you to operate in, in your business, in your productivity, that you are unable to because you are just not fit. You're always tired. You don't have the energy. God wants you to put in an amount of work. You can't because you're, you're, you just can't cope. All that needs to change because your future will be limitless in the name of Jesus. We see, okay, so first of all, we see the family, we see the faith, we see the friends, we see the finance, we see fitness. So where is the farm? <laughs> where is the farm here? The farm simply is, is the place of, 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 of production. It's a place where you produce value. Your workshop, if you will, where you are working and chopping. That's <laughs> the farm. That's the farm. In this case, the farm was their, was their, um, their room. That place of production that is not... It, the dynamics of it, maybe when we get to the farm, we, we expound it further. It's, it's, it's very, very interesting. Because the farm needs a market. And God said to her, go and sell the oil. God did not fix the price. God did not help her do the market survey or the market research or the segmentation, whatever. God didn't do that. She had to do it herself. She had to decide on the amount. Should she underprice herself? Should she overprice? Is this premium oil? How will she brand it? Oil from heaven. Supernatural oil. How, you know, it's up to her how she wants to go. All that are components of the farmer. We also saw how the fact that she came into the room with her son. God said, with your son. Borrow vessels from your friends, but go into the room with your son. Your two sons. Many times, because we've borrowed vessels and we're using the vessels of our friends, we think because of that, they have access to the room. So we bring our friends into the room where it's supposed to be just for. Then trouble starts. Praise God. So we see the whole dynamic tying into a future. You know, of course, you know, I held myself back from making it seven, but I would just put the seven around, the seventh one around the whole thing, that while you are building a future with family, faith, friends, finance, fitness, and farm, make sure you are having fun. Why are you at it? <laughs> Hallelujah. That would be the seventh. I didn't want to make it one um, by itself. So the point is this. When we look at each life, as we take the first component, which is family, chosen to take family. If you look at each life, the life you have today is largely shaped 
by the family you were born into. The family you were raised in, rather, determined the life you are living today. So your concept of, your, of life, your worldview, is determined largely by your family, the family you were born into. So if we have a problem with society at large and the people that we are churning out in government, in leadership, we actually have a problem with the family. That is where all our concepts are learned. That is where we are shaped and formed. And when you look at the concept that is at the foundation of the family, which is, which is love, the concept of love is <laughs> learned in the family. It's in the family. Tomorrow is Valentine's Day. Praise God. It appears as if it's only 8 a.m. service people that are celebrating Valentine's Day. <laughs> 10 a.m. When I said before Valentine's Day, 8 a.m. they were excited. 10 a.m. Tomorrow is Valentine's Day. Praise God. <laughs> you guys are amazing. Okay, let me rewind again. Tomorrow is Valentine's Day. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, Pastor, why should you be talking about Valentine's Day in church? Is that even spiritual? You know, <laughs> I don't know. I will leave that to you to decide. <laughs> but the point is, people use the day to express love. And love can be a bad thing. Or shouldn't be a bad thing. But you see, the concept of love that is being expressed, expected, received, is largely based on how the person has been shaped. So, someone that already feels, I mean, it's, it's it mixed bag for most people. That is Valentine's Day. Some people, they'll be sorrowful. I didn't get any flowers today. Oh, I, I'm so ugly. <laughs> but if that person already is integrated in a family, grew up in a family that is completely, the person is completely loved. The truth remains that the person already knows that they are enough, that they are accepted, that they are beautiful, that they are handsome, that they are... So, it doesn't really define them. But if the person is from a dysfunctional home, then there's a void that the person is trying to fill. And different kind of creatures, I mean men, take advantage of, <laughs> of it. Why? Because 
that is just how it is. Your family determines a whole lot of things about you. And when we look at the concept of a family, family starts really with boy meets girl. Boy likes girl. Boy winked at girl. Girl winked back at boy. And the rest becomes history. They say. But the truth is, romantic love is good, but it's not strong enough to hold the family structure. You know, if you've not been married, you if you've, if you've been alive for long enough, even if you've not been married, you should, you understand it. But some people don't get it. Romantic love is not enough. It's good. And it's good to be sustained. But it's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. So, Pastor, what can be enough? What is enough is the God kind of love. The family is built on God's kind of love. God's kind of love is what can sustain. In fact, of course, God's kind of love will produce romantic love. Definitely. God's kind of love will fuel romantic love. Definitely. So, what does this God kind of love look like? 1 Corinthians 13. Let's take a few verses of 1 Corinthians 13 from verse 1. And we see, it says, If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, and but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Let's bring that home. I mean, you are nasty to your spouse. You're nasty. And you're speaking in tongues loud at night. If I say, all oh, my enemies, the ones in this house. <laughs> God says that you're a clanging symbol. That's what it means. Serving a God of miracles. I am your husband. I know. Yes, I know. <laughs> God is saying that it's it's nothing. It's nonsense. If I had the gift of prophecy, I could understand all God's secret plans, and I possess all knowledge. And if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I don't have love, I, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. Since if, I, if you could prophesy, oh, I had a vision, oh, praise God for visions. 
But they are nothing if you cannot show love to the person Jesus died for. Spiritual gifts should not be tools of oppression. They are gifts of service. So it's like, ah, <laughs> we, we can see you, ah. God has showed me something about you, but I can't tell you yet. Have you heard that before? Tool of manipulation. I can't tell you yet. I better carry your vision and I'll move. <laughs> it has already been revealed concerning me. There is no misfortune in stuff all over me, money. <laughs> you know, I know the plans that I think towards you. They are plans of good and none of evil. They give you a hope and a future. Say to the righteous, it shall be well with you. That's what God has said. Go and drink Sprite on top of that prophecy. Praise the name of God. God is saying, if I gave everything I have to the poor, and even sacrifice my body. I'm so giving. I'm so sacrificial. I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. So, what is this love? The God kind of love. Love is patient and kind. If we understood that and we shut down service today, you, you are fine. Love is patient and kind. Love is not mean-spirited. Love is kind. The God kind of love that God wants to see and wants to be released in your family is kind. It's patient. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. A lot can be said about being rude. Some people, their natural state of engagement is to be rude. I mean, little wonder because the families that they grew up in, the first things people learn in certain cultures, if you want to learn the language, the first thing you learn is the abuses. I won't mention the, lang the, the language. <laughs> Yoruba, yes. The first thing to learn in Yoruba is, uh, is the greeting and the abuses. It doesn't demand his own way. It's not irritable. It, it's, it keeps no record of being wronged. It's not irritable. You are just, you're, you're, you're watching TV or you're reading. Do people still read newspaper these days? <laughs> you're reading newspaper. Or you're reading a book. And your spouse walks in and you're backing. Take it easy. 
it's not irritable. It doesn't, it doesn't keep record of wrong. <laughs> you know, you know, the classic record keeper. That was what he did. He did it in 1982, the 5th of November, 3.33 p.m. precisely. He repeated the same thing in 1992. He did the same thing in 2012. Now in 2022. He was, no. Love keeps no record of wrong. Can you see that? It is impossible to do this love thing God's way and go wrong. Impossible. Say, Pastor, if you, if you love anybody like that, they will take you for granted. Mm, they may. But God will prevail. Praise the name of the Lord. So, the family we all are born in actually shape us. Shape our, our, our idea of love. How we, some people, do you know some people can't receive love? They can't, they struggle to receive love. You try to show them love, they're always deflecting. Always deflecting. And when they became, become Christians, they spiritualize it. You say to a lady, your hair is nice. Ah, give God the glory. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, just say thank you and receive it. Let it enter. But no, 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 no. No man on earth should give glory to himself. And <laughs> the glory must be to the Lord. Yes, all the glory must be to the Lord. We are not arguing with that. But the point is, when we come to Christ, we find a way of Christianizing our flaws and our brokenness. Some people don't give compliments. They don't, they don't express love. I was speaking to someone, one of such persons, you know. I'm like, so, so why? Just tell your wife this, you know. Say, say the pastor. I don't want it to enter her head. I'm like, just tell her she's pretty. No, 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 no. They should begin to carry shoulder. I'm like, no. And if you check, we learned, that was what we learned. Growing up, we never saw our fathers kiss our mothers. We never saw them hug each other. So you, you, you hug someone and the person is like this. Why? Because how do you say Komora in English? <laughs> it is not Mora. <laughs> it is not. I'm not, I'm not uh, used to it. Used to it is not, does not bring it out. But you understand what I'm saying? Because that is how we've been curated. But you see, for you to be limitless and become all that God has called you to be, you need to be born into God's family and 
see how things are done in God's family. You need to rebond yourself. It's called being born again. See, being born again is not a label. It's actually being born into a new family, learning a new culture, knowing how to love. Do you know, God's love is reckless. Reckless. God is not prodigal. But his love is, oh, is if, if you think about it, it doesn't make sense. It really doesn't make sense. So the person you actually think you are, truth is that it's not really who you really are. It's, it's who you have become. The last time you were genuinely who yourself was one minute after you were born. That's the last time you were genuinely pure, fresh yourself. Just one minute. After one minute, you know what happened? They started teaching you. Your, they started picking up behavior of your mother, of your father. They started curating you. started putting you in a box. started telling you what you can't do. started telling you how far you can't go. Started, I mean, so we, we now become products of the families we are born into. But today, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I'm praying that your identity in God's family will override every other identity in the name of Jesus. It is so, so powerful because think about it. If you, the same you, if you were born in Asia, you know that you will turn out differently. Completely, the language you speak will be different. Your worldview will be completely different. It's the same you. I mean, of course, you know that experiment of twins being born and taken to different cultures. They became different people. Completely different people. If the same you will take you to, not even to another African country, another tribe in this same Nigeria, you become a totally different person. <laughs> totally different. Then we take you to the West. Totally different. So it is the family. Families are so powerful. So powerful. How, and how we curate our children is so powerful. And regardless of where we are situated, East, South, North, West, wherever, the truth is that the, the, the outcome, the product of each family will be fundamentally sound if built on the foundation of love regardless of location. Regardless of location. Every child that is loved unconditionally, if you bring up that scripture again, 1 Corinthians 13, every child that is loved this way. I think from verse, verse 3. This love, okay, um, verse 4, thank you, that is patient and kind. 
Imagine all our children growing up in an environment, our homes, and with the experience that we are actually patient and we are kind to them. Imagine if they express the love that is not boastful. Come on. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud. Many times we are telling our children things that are not true. They say, when I was your age, I used to come first in class. All our parents came first. Like <laughs> we don't know who came last. <laughs> Everybody, you know. and we've continued the lie. We've continued the lie. Only that we embellish our own to make it look real. Ah, I was a mathematician. No, you were not. It's. Not, it does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable. Many children that have been abused can't talk to their parents because their parents are irritable. So the child enters the room, wants to tell you that one uncle is touching her in a funny way. But you're like, what, 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 what is it? The child just withdraws and goes back. Many adults today, you know, as a pastor, I've had to work with a lot of people through this. It's the same pattern. Many adults today, they will say to me, I couldn't tell my mom when they did this to me. I couldn't tell my dad. I mean, the truth is that you failed as a parent. If your child is that troubled, and they can't tell you. You can buy them the biggest iPad, the one that is big like this, the best shoes. But if, you, if, 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 if they cannot access you and they don't feel safe talking to you, is it that you will overreact? And your child knows that this is an overreaction. The child knows that's an overreaction. The adult doesn't know. We need to recalibrate. Praise the name of the Lord. Keeps no record of wrong, of being wronged. Imagine your child comes back. I've done something really bad. It's walking on eggshells around you. Imagine you put your hands around him or her and say, forget about it. And two weeks down the line, the child is trying to say, uh, you know that thing I did. I say, what, what did you do? Forget about it. You did, you did nothing. You've learned your lesson, yes. Move on. How freeing would that be for that child? But we think we have to be mean. I want to teach her lessons she will never forget. Teach him a lesson never forget. You destroy your life. You destroy the child. You destroy everything. You can never 
Should I say you shouldn't discipline your child? Nope. That's what it is. Discipline. Then move on. You are holding, you are, you are keeping malice with a child. Two weeks. People are eyeing babies. No, 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 no. You're not a baby. You didn't let me sleep yesterday. Useless, useless baby. You know, people are eyeing babies. Have you not seen people try to throw their babies off the balcony? They say, okay, it's postpartum depression. Can't call it whatever name. The key thing is that when we learn to be healed by God's love, we learn to love our children like God loves us. We learn to show reckless love. Reckless love. Reckless love that, think about it, God took a chance on you. You, you, you are here today because God took a chance on you and you are struggling to take a chance on your child. Think about it. If God has dealt with you, this the way you are dealing with that boy right now. The things you have mapped out for the boy. Because, okay, you know, you know, there was a friend of mine, you know, um, he was going to, when Padakota was in a project, and he was going to Lagos to deal with his wife because of something she has done, you know. And we had a mutual friend. So we're even praying, and God spoke to the mutual friend of ours and told my friend to when his room and our mutual friend just says, just says the Lord, this is what God just told me. You are going to Lagos. Says, how do you know? Says, God says that I'm not going to stop you from doing whatever you want to do or however you want me to treat you. Go to Lagos and treat your wife that way. Do you know what? The guy changed plans. <laughs> he said he was going to deal with her. Instead, he went with gifts, pampering her. I said, God, can you see, oh, see what I'm doing? <laughs> and the woman, obviously, the woman repented. I mean, she felt funny because she had done something bad. And, and, she, and they talked over it, and it was over. But it was going to go and cause trouble. And God says, cause the maximum trouble you want to cause, I will take over from there. What if God treated us the way we treat our spouses? What if God treats us the way we treat our children? We won't be where we are. So why can't we, why can't we allow this to enter our system? Why do we many times allow the errors of Grandparents that handed out to our parents and handed out to us that damaged us that we don't like. By the way, we are handing it down to our, our children. And, and, and the culture is not helping because the, the family system is being redefined or criticized and, and, and devalued. So we are in a cultural moment where family is being redefined and devalued. How can two women raise a child? What kind of child would that be? How can two men 
raise a daughter? How? How can two men even raise a son? How? There's so much attack on the family. A lot of people are saying things like, oh, wow, I, I mean, I can do bad all by myself. I, I'm, I don't need any man. I don't need any woman. Well, if for the sake of the gospel, praise God. <laughs> but statistics show us that unmarried males and unmarried females don't do well in society. Should that be surprising? Didn't God say in Genesis 2, Genesis 2, 18, 18 or 28, 18, it says that then the Lord said, it is, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So if God says something is not good, it simply means what? It's not good. What is not good is not good. Does he have another name? If it is not good by God, it is not good for you. It is what it is. It is what it is. It is not good. If you check, of course, you could argue, oh, there are exceptions. Of course, there are always exceptions. But the truth is that it's really hard it's really hard to focus productively on serving others through business or ministry without having a base, without having a family that is a haven of security and tranquility. It's really hard. It is not the norm. You're like, oh, pastor, I mean, Jesus did it. Jesus is an exception. Oh, Paul did it. Paul is an exception. You don't build your life on exceptions. You build your life on the principles. You don't build on, ex on exceptions. People have said to me, young people, talented, oh, I want to play professional football. I don't want to go to school. And I'm like, even if you must play football, try, just go to school. They say, no, 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 no. Did Messi go to school? Did Ronaldo go to school? <laughs> For every Messi, there are tens of millions of jobless footballers that will never be Messi. For every Ronaldo, there are tens of millions of jobless footballers that will never be Ronaldo. And by the way, some of these guys, when we play with them, they are just average. But because they have certain air court, <laughs> they think, listen, give yourself a chance. Life is about the game of odds. Give yourself a chance. The race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong. You know, it means... The swift don't always win. You know what it means? It means the swift mostly win. 
So try and be fast. And eliminate a whole lot of failures from your life. The strong don't always win. But guess what? The strong mostly win. So why do you want to be weak and say, no, eh, the battle is not the strong? Be strong. Praise the name of the Lord. You know, say, oh, there are exceptions. I don't want to go to university. After all, Bill Gates, Bill Gates is not going to university. It even, it's not even pronouncing Bill Gates well. Bill Gates. <laughs> Praise God. The point is, give yourself a chance. Whatever you can do, when you are educated, you, you, you have more opportunities to do what you can do. You know, um, I got interviewed by Guardian this week. Um, they, no, no, it's not. I must say, to let you clap. You know, I'm just. They said that Unilag is 60, University of Lagos is 60. For some reason, they said they are doing a report on 60 alumni of Unilag that are um, that are enigmas. For some reason, they put my name there. I don't know why. You know, <laughs> praise God. So we're having this Zoom interview, and and the interviewer was like, "You studied computer science, you know." And now you're in ministry. I mean, is it wasted? As in how? I'm like, so I was telling him what we do in church. How my education is making a whole lot of things possible. There are people that refuse to go to school because they want to be pastors. They have a calling, no doubt. But you will do better when you are educated. At least you will not be firing bullets. <laughs> uh, after all, I didn't do that. <laughs> I, I, I said, you know, let people use their faith for something else to receive blessing. Don't let them be using their faith to overcome <laughs> your grammar. You know, President of God. So the exception, of course. Exceptions, but you don't build your life on exceptions. Family is so powerful, it's so so powerful because it's in finances, not only in the mental health of the child, financially, financially, family is an effective tool in wealth creation because one generation's labors gives the next generation a springboard to success. Why do most people have to start from scratch when it comes to building wealth? Why? Because the black man mostly doesn't think transgenerationally. We have a few exceptions of course, but we need to change all that. The typical white boy is not starting from scratch. They are not. You know, you know of a popular one that popular white guy that said that, oh, 
he's a billionaire, he's, I mean, and he says that, oh, his, his father gave him one small one million dollars, one tertiary money, you know, to start out life with. Well, but if you compare it to what he has achieved, it's small. But is it small? Imagine you call all your children in old age and you say, you take $5 million. You take $15 million. You take $20 million. Then all of you kneel down. Let me bless you. Don't just be giving empty blessings. <laughs> Without... <laughs> the, the, the good man, the Bible says, leaves an inheritance for his children. That word inheritance means money. It is not spiritual gift. It isn't. I've heard people spiritualize it. Oh, the most important thing. They say, yes, of course we know that. But the blessing of the Lord makes rich. It adds no sorrow to it. So, family, you should think, what am I handing down? It will be sad if your son or your children have to start from scratch. It will be sad though, but it will not happen. Because you will give them a solid platform to launch from in the name of Jesus. Even if you have 12 children, all of them will have an inheritance in the name of Jesus. And when we look at the dynamic of the family, the role of the mother is so powerful. The mother, I mean, when you compare scripture and see what our, 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 our Bible, um, the Bible um, depicts um, the woman and, 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 and the home, you, the, the mother is like the, is like the developer, the, the builder of the home. Women do so many things for us and for the home that, you know, I, I, I thought I understood it and I thought I appreciated it <laughs> until recently. I used to be one of those that would say, why are there three Mother's Days in a year? This is cheating. There's only one Father's Day. Yaddy, yaddy, yaddy. Then I found myself as a single father of an infant boy. I had to feed him, change him, take care of him. I still have to preach you. I said, many of you didn't even know. I still have to. I said, it's me where I'm pausing the meeting. Many of you didn't even hear. I came to the conclusion that there should be 12 Mother's Day in a year. <laughs> 12. <laughs> One for every mother. I kid you not. Because it's how the women do it. Then after that, they will come again, they will burn another one. Then after they will come again, they will burn another one. I thought, I'm like, are they on drugs? <laughs> it must be how they are wired. To nurture. My mama had six of us. And, and she wasn't going to stop at six. She wanted a, a boy. She wanted a girl. You know? 
for some reason, they convinced themselves of different theories. You know, and my grandmother came to her and said, be burning them. I'll be taking care of them. So, I think from when she had two boys, for me, she wanted a girl. You know, in my own case, they, God hid me from everything, from scans, from prophets. and Everybody was prophesying, girl, 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 girl. <laughs> when I came out and she, <laughs> she was like, hey, I'm not a boy. You know, I was just crazy stuff. And she said, she made up her mind. Even if, she said, even if it is 15. Next one was a boy. Next one was a boy. When God saw that she, this woman was not going to stop, he said, please, must give her one girl. So they gave her a girl. How do they do it? Mothers are amazing. They build the homes. They strengthen everything. They make things work. They, they can do ten things at a time. Have you noticed? How do they do it? We try to do three. And everything is just jamming themselves. <laughs> They are coordinating this, coordinating that, coordinating this, coordinating that. You know, and that's what the Bible says, that a, a wise woman builds a home. The woman is the builder. But of course it says, the foolish one, we use our own hands. The one you know, doesn't need the contractor to pull it down. Our own hands to pull down our own house. You will not be a foolish woman. Say amen like you mean it. As important as the mothers are, I mean the family, and they are indispensable completely. But the fathers are also so important. But because the mothers are so important, Many women think, what's this man useful for? I can do without this man. Erroneously. Praise God. And we see that in an analysis of over a hundred studies of parent-child relationships, that it was found that having a loving and nurturing father was as important for a child's development, happiness, well-being, social and academic success as having a loving and nurturing mother. So this thing of, um, I can't do bad by myself. Oh, I don't need a man. It's a lie. The home. Have you not noticed that the man may not talk much, but the fact that a man is present in a house brings stability that you cannot even explain. Everything is just sane. When the man is not at home, I mean, someone was telling me that um, a woman that she had a lot of money and everything, and you know, and she she kicked out her husband, you know, and I've told her to write down this a story so that we share it anonymously, so that sense can enter some people's head. She said that it was a 
big mistake that it's a lie, oh, this thing. She feeds herself, drives her own car, but she enters the house since the place is just empty. The children are confused. They have mental health challenges. Why? Because you can't replace. That's how God has done it. I'm sorry. The man may not be perfect, but his presence in the house alone. Then God help you if he's a praying man. The man, the woman is the builder, the man is the foundation of the family. How solid that structure stands is standing on that foundation of a father. So, of course, I mean, you know what happened in the, in the U.S. I mean, the black community, the first thing they did to, to really destroy that community is to get rid of the men. Just get rid of the men and give the women money, you know, welfare money to take care of the children, you know. And then guess what? Every child wants to be a part of a gang because it doesn't have a father. Nowhere to draw identity from. And in this 26-year-long study, researchers found that the number one factor, now listen to this, this is just very interesting, in developing empathy, you would think that should come from, from, from the mother. The number one factor in developing empathy in children was father involvement. Father spending time, spending regular time alone with their children translated into children who became compassionate adults. Wow. The presence of the father brings stability to the child, brings direction for the child, provides identity for the child. The child knows that this is my Source, this is my father. Unquantifiable. Research from the University of Pennsylvania indicated that children who feel a closeness and warmth with their father are twice as likely to enter college at his university, 75% less likely to have a child in their teen years, pregnancy down 75%. Can you even beat that? 80% less likely to be incarcerated, that is to go to jail. 80% less likely. Children that have fathers, 80% less likely to go to jail. And half as likely to show various signs of depression. So you have little children these days they say they are depressed. I'm like, why are they depressed? Why is a child depressed? A child should be happy. She's depressed. Praise the name of the Lord. So we, we see that fathers are like the bedrock 
the family. Our fathers hold the building up. Our fathers hold the building together. Our fathers give us direction. Our fathers give us protection. Our fathers give us covering. Our fathers give us direction. I think we should clap for the fathers. <laughs> Praise the name of the Lord. By the time we look at Luke 11, I mean, it's such a powerful scripture. Luke 11, from verse 11, it says, Some of you are fathers. So ask yourselves this. If a son shall ask bread of you, will you give them a stone? Or if your son comes up to you and asks for a fish, for dinner, will you give him a snake instead? If your boy wants an egg to eat, will you give him a scorpion? Says, look, all of you are flawed. So God is saying, fathers are flawed. Fathers are not perfect, but a father will go to any length to make sure that his son or his children or his home are bread. Have fish. Have egg. He says, you are flawed in so many ways. He says, yet, in spite of all your faults, you know how to give good gifts to your children. Let's pause there. So, God is saying, ladies, you are not going to find a perfect man. All men are flawed. Being flawed does not diminish their strength as a father. Being flawed does not remove their grace as a father. Being flawed does not remove the covering they give you. As a father. So we see people say, Oh, he has his fault. Oh, he has I'm like, it doesn't change the fact that he is the one that will protect that family from a spiritual standpoint. It is not you, no matter how much you pray. You can pray for 30 days. The man will just say in Jesus' name, Amen. And <laughs> protection. Praise God. That's, it's not because we, one is better than the other. I mean, you saw the woman's value, right? I mean, they are all... It's just how it is placed. People have abused it so much, we don't even understand these things anymore. Praise the name of the Lord. And so, so God is saying, you have flawed. You have faults. It doesn't diminish your fatherhood. You are flawed. If your issue with your husband is because he's not perfect, welcome to the real world. The world where there are no perfect men. <laughs> Only functional fathers. Now let's pivot that scripture. It says, 
This is God saying. If you that are flawed still know how to do good to your children, protect your family and do all that. He says, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them? In other words, if you can be this flawed and you can still provide the covering the things your family need. God is saying, I am better than you. So what am I saying? What I'm saying is this. Many times, people only have a label as Christians, but they have not been integrated into God's family. We don't see God as our father. For the earthly father, it will go to any extent. Bread is in the terrestrial um, phase, space of, of the earth. It's on earth, physical earth. Fish is in the water. Egg. Birds. They probably won't put their eggs up on a rock or on a tree somewhere. So, so God is saying, a father will go and get bread on, on land where it's comfortable. The father will dive into the depth of the sea to get fish where he can choke when we take the risk for his family. The father will climb heights to get egg. He will not give scorpion that's readily available. He will not give snake that's readily available in place of fish. A father will go to the different, to water, to ground, to air, to get provision. God is saying, I am the father of fathers. I can take care of you. So, in case you, you've had a malfunctioning father, and you're like, hey, yeah, look at my life now. This one that pastor is preaching about father. Oh, no wonder. I have all these problems that I own. God is saying, I'm here for you. Here for you. If only folks will really get integrated into God's family, and we thank God for the you know more people are, are, are getting integrated. It, being born again is not a label that you wear. Oh, I'm born again. I'm born again. No, being born again is that's what it is. You are being born again into another family. So all the things you've learned from that previous family should be overridden, the negative ones should be overridden by the things of this new family. Hallelujah. So if we land and wrap things up with that same passage of scripture in in 2 Kings chapter 4, it says, one day, the widow of a widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, my husband who served you is dead and the creditor has come to take my children. So we see, the man was shielding his family while he was alive. He was not perfect. The man was in debt. He was in debt. He was not perfect. Maybe he would have borrowed from somebody else to pay that person. Maybe he will have sold his shoes 
Maybe he would have, he would have done something to protect his family. But he was not present. So, though that man was flawed, the man was still covering. The man was still covering. But the man was out of the picture. Everything came crashing down. Everything came crashing down. Don't demand perfection. God does not demand it. God doesn't demand it. Everyone is on a journey. Our stories are different. Our journeys are different. See God in your spouses. But here's where we are going. Even though this woman was vulnerable, even though this woman was exposed, even though this woman, this family was dysfunctional, the man was in debt. That's, that's a dysfunction. When the robber met the road, this woman is teaching us a huge lesson. She ran to God. She ran to God. She ran to God. So, so Pastor, what are you saying? What I'm saying is this. The dysfunction in your family should not lead to destruction of your life. Run to God. Run to God. Run to God. Instead of staying there and like, oh, uh, if I, I was born into a dysfunctional family, pastor, that's why this, that's why that. Or you, you, you have a label that, oh, you're born again, but you know you're not integrated into God's family. God says to you this morning, I'm a good father. Let's bow our hearts as we bow our, our heads. God is saying, I'm a good father. Come to God. Run to God. Run to God. You're like, pastor, pray with me. What should I do? Should I come forward? No, you don't need to come forward. I'll pray with you wherever you're seated. Pastor, that is me. I need to be integrated into God's family. I need to come to God. If that is you, pull up your hand now over your head, wherever you're seated. I will pray together. If you're putting up your hand, pull up your hand well over your head. God bless you. God bless you. Keep the hands up. If you're putting it up, put it up over your head and take a card. God bless you. God bless you, sir. God bless you. God bless you, sir. Keep the hands up and take a card. Once you have the card, you can put down your hand. That is me, pastor. That is me. That is me. Pray with me. Pray with me. God bless you. And that hand over there. And that hand over there. And that hand right there at the back. God bless you. That is me, pastor. That is me. Oh, God bless you. Once you have the card, you can put it on your hand. The rest of us, let's just talk to God. Let's talk to our Father. Let's talk to our Father. Let's talk to Him. Let's, let's talk to Him. Let's talk to Him. And let's just say, Father, I thank you. Thank you. Thank you. you may, some, some dysfunction may have been exposed while you are hearing the Word of God. Why don't you ask for help? Why don't you, why don't you just tell God to help you? Why don't you say to God, help me, help me, help me. No 
Glory, glory, glory to the Father. Glory, glory, glory to the Son. Glory, glory, glory to the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Glory, Father, we thank you for your kindness. Thank you for everyone that is coming to you today. We ask that you reveal yourself to them, Lord. The grace to be integrated into your family, Lord, give unto us fully. Honor and glory we give unto you. Honor and glory we give unto you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name, we are prayed. Amen. Let's put our hands together for the Lord, for his kindness and his mercy and his compassion over us.